Hello and welcome back to Sci-Fi TV Book Review. Today I will be reviewing Fallen Heroes by Daphid Abhugh. So this is the first Deep Space Nine book I've read and it came highly recommended by a fellow book hoarder. There's a lot of books based in the world of DS9 and similar to the Enterprise books, the review of the initial releases are not overly positive. It also wasn't my intention to go for a complete collection, so reading them in order wasn't a priority. This is actually book five of the series. The book starts off strong, much of the main cast are covered as they are throughout the book. However, the focus is predominantly on Quark and Odo. The dialogue and interaction between the two feels genuine to the show. It's funny, familiar and very comfortable. Straight away I could see why it was recommended to me. This was until the story really gets going. When a troop of alien warriors demands the return of an imprisoned comrade, a prisoner no one on Deep Space Nine knows anything about, Commander Benjamin Sisko has a deadly fight on his hands. Under sudden attack from the heavily armed warriors, Sisko and his crew struggle desperately to repel the invaders and save the lives of everyone on board. Meanwhile, a strange device from the Gamma Quadrant has shifted Ferengi barkeeper Quark and Security Chief Odo three days into the future to a silent Deep Space Nine. To save the station, they must discover what caused the invasion to take place and find a pathway back through time itself. So from here on in, the book shifts back and forth in time. Quark and Odo make their way through a seemingly empty station where everyone they know is dead, and as they come upon the body of a former comrade, we are then treated to a rundown of that character's death three days before. Tonally, this makes for quite a dark read, that not even the back and forth of Odo and Quark can make up for. Now, I'm all for a darker tone in a tie-in novel. However, killing off the main cast of characters, who you know will need to be put back by the end, makes the journey itself of having to go through them all dying and having their corpses discovered a pointless and bleak one. It's a tough challenge for an author to give a sense of risk and danger, knowing that they have to leave the world and characters as they were when they found them for continuity purposes. Other books do this well by killing off side characters that only get a little screen time, or creating new characters to take all the risk of not making it to the end of the book, or raising the stakes by, for example, an alien species on the verge of extinction and the crew have to save. In Fallen Heroes, the author has killed off all the main characters, so the engagement then has to come from finding out how he's going to bring them back again. What was obvious to me early on, and probably could be worked out from the synopsis, was that the answer would be time travelling backwards. Despite Quark and Odo being frozen in a time stasis for three days, the book and premise really has nothing to do with time travel, so guessing that the author was going to fix everything with some convenient form of time travel really switched me off early on. Am I being too critical of the bleak plot and story with no real stakes? Perhaps. Could I still have enjoyed the book anyway? Maybe. Had I listened to the abridged audio version from the start, very possibly maybe. Now I know some of you will have fond memories of listening to the cassette tape version all those years ago, and the nostalgia alone makes this a great yarn. However, I didn't choose to listen to the abridged audio version, 
because I wanted to experience the full story in order to review it properly. At what point did I convert to the audio version, I hear you ask? About page 190 was when I finally tapped out. Now let's talk about the bizarre choices by the author to insert human ideas and concepts onto alien characters. For example, who do you think might say, lead on Macduff? Bashir? Cisco maybe? No, no, it's Quark, casually quoting a bit of Shakespeare to Odo, because we all know Quark is a big fan of historical Earth texts. Kira compares something to the hunting of the snark, and it's later revealed that her favourite human author is Lewis Carroll. Of course, that's what she's going to be thinking about as she's being hunted by cold-blooded, xenophobic aliens. As Dax slips out of consciousness, she sees a prism of light dominated by an orange-red colour, the very same colour as the hair of humans from certain parts of Ireland. Now, Dax is a trill. Why would her dying thoughts be to compare the colour of her fading consciousness to the hair colour of people from certain parts of Ireland? I mean, that, that I'm literally quoting from the book there. You might be thinking, so what? The author is just describing things in a way we, the reader, can understand them. But the problem for me, each time this happened, it removed me from the story. I found it jarring and not in keeping with the characters. One of the security team, her family happens to come from the same Irish county as O'Brien a hundred years earlier, and despite it being the 24th century and being through Starfleet and having lived who knows where, she had to have a strong Irish accent, as shown in the following dialogue. But you cannot tell them that. I think it's our only hope. If we can make them ken that we're speaking truth, they've nay reason to stay and keep killing. Now, I'm not trying to put on an accent there. I'm just reading how it's been written. And the Irishness doesn't stop at hair colour or accents. No, there's also references where O'Brien refers to Keiko as his first, uh, sorry, as his own sweet fair Colleen, which is a lyric from an Irish ballad written by someone who died in 1927. Now, again, perhaps I'm being overly critical. But it is conceivable that someone in the 24th century with a Starfleet career would not have an overly strong accent or way of speaking that needs to be characterised in the book. Nor is it likely that O'Brien's pet name for his wife would be from a song written prior to 1927. It's not that these things are out of the realm of possibility, but again, they are details that I found jarring that took me out of the story. I find it much more believable when characters reference their own past, which may be our future. Something closer to their timeline, like when Picard quotes the names of philosophers or scientists, but they add in one or two that are made up to show that space in time between us now and them in the future. There's also quite a bit of technobabble filler, but not smart sci-fi technobabble that adds to the story. Just kind of laborious detail about sensor tuning, macros and diagnostics. As well as a scene where O'Brien and Kira have to climb down part of a gravity generator. This is literally described as a cylindrical shaft running hundreds of metres with no gravity and opens out at the bottom into open space. Of course, in order to traverse the shaft, they have a thin filament the size of a strand of hair which, if pulled too hard, can easily break. 
Now, this sounds to me more like an anxiety nightmare than a realistic part of a ship. And again, another attempt at the author to create a sense of danger that just seems way over the top. The invading race are described as xenophobes that don't make treaties or trade agreements. They hide and they kill anyone that approaches. And yet, there's an old Kardashian myth which goes on to explain that the only two ways to provoke the armour-wearing bubblehead aliens is to attempt to find their homeworld or hold one of them captive. So despite them being a xenophobic race who have communicated with no one, the Kardashians have an old myth stating there are only two known ways to provoke them. And the only point of this section actually serves as a convenient clue for Odo and Quark to piece together the reason for the invasion. I mean, you could call it an old myth. Personally, I just call it lazy writing. Aside from the bizarre choices I've already mentioned, the characters are well written as they'd appear on the show. Kira gets a nice action scene, diving through corridors like Ripley from Aliens, but this is kind of let down by the constant use of the word bubblehead. She reached the rifle, just as the searching bubbleheads spotted her. And then, she waited in profound silence, not even hearing her own ragged breath. No more bubbleheads boiled out of the hatch. I mean, nothing says danger like an invading army of bubbleheads. So at page 190, when a traumatised Jake appears, I decided I'd had enough. So lead on Macduff to the audio version available on YouTube. Now, I have to say, as the story was being read to me by Odo himself, with much of the detail removed, it was a much more positive experience. Partly because it was stripped of anything unnecessary, but also because, as I'm listening, I'm just along for the ride, allowing it to wash over me while conjuring images in my mind of the characters and the settings, opposed to me actively reading the words on a page and finding myself increasingly irritated by them. Now, although this review, along with last episode, has been quite negative, that's not to say that you won't enjoy this book. Plenty of people do. It was recommended to me, and the score on Goodreads is a 3.73. So don't be put off by the ramblings of a nobody. If you fancy a dark, time-travelling action romp focusing on Quark and Odo, this might just be for you. And besides, I've probably lowered your expectations sufficiently enough to enjoy it. If you're not worried about reading the whole thing, I'd fully recommend the audio version on YouTube. Thank you for sharing this journey with me through the world of sci-fi TV fiction. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode. Also, if you have any recommends or requests, feel free to let me know. Or just come for a chat at John Abel Writer. That's J-O-H-N-A-B-L-E Writer at gmail.com.